Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Luba Greenwood. She's the head of strategic business development and corporate ventures at Verily and Alphabet Company. Luba brings to Google pharmaceutical, biotechnology, and digital health industry experience and expertise in building and investing in innovative technology companies and providing strategic counsel to global corporations. Previously, Luba has served as vice president of global business development and mergers and acquisitions at Roche where she also established and led the East Coast Innovation Hub for the Diagnostics Division. Luba is on the board of MassBio and Brooklyn Immunotherapeutics and serves as advisor to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as part of its Business Development Council. Luba is a thought leader for the New England Journal of Medicine, Catalyst, founder of the Pharma Digital Health Roundtable, and a lecturer at Boston University Law School and School of Management, where she has taught courses in life sciences, business law, innovation, and entrepreneurship since 2014. Her career has spanned leadership roles in venture investing, business development, mergers and acquisitions, law, and operations, with companies like Venture Partner at Colt Ventures, BD and strategy for Excella Health, a flagship ventures company. She's also did some work with Pfizer and started her career at a leading national law firm, Wilmer Cutler Pickering Hale and Door, where she represented clients in securities, IP, regulatory, corporate, and litigation matters. Many, many awards have also been given to her, including a Science Club for Girls Catalyst Award for her commitment to advocating for women in science and tech. Luba served as nonprofit board member of Longwood Symphony Orchestra, executive coach for Mass Next Gen, among many other outstanding appointments. With that, I just want to say I'm super excited to have her here on the podcast with us and uh, thrilled to, to be diving into her thoughts on what's next in, in healthcare, revenue generation, and uh, making things actionable in healthcare. So Luba, thanks so much for joining me. Saul, thank you for having me. So, uh, Luba, what is it that got you into the healthcare sector? Well, I have always been interested and fascinated by biology and science. I've actually, I, yes, I'm a lawyer, but it was more by accident that I went into the legal profession. I actually started out in science and have been very interested in not just science, but in medicine and, and people and patients and just very curious about people's journey in life and in, in health. Actually, when I was in um, an undergrad, I did major in science, but I also debate through school. I, I became uh, an EMT and just loved it even more and That's wanted to cool. know and, and contribute more to medicine. And specifically in innovation, a lot of what I saw, and, and granted this was from the point of view of, of an EMT, uh, was that there was still a lot of a lot of care that really could be given to patients and still a lot of innovation that could be done. So I remember I came to my biochemistry thesis advisor and um, I told him, hey, I, I want to go and, and innovate and come up with new medicines and therapies for patients. And he said, well, 
innovation, if you are interested in that in life sciences, is really in law. So that was that was an interesting hmm. take, especially from somebody that teaches biochemistry. And but then again, this was this was about 20 years ago. Well, more than 20 years ago, when you didn't when uh, Kendall Square didn't look the way that it looks now, and um, you didn't have as much innovation really going on and happening here in Boston. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went into um, I went into law, and it was actually not my strength. My strength has always been in the sciences and math, and I was actually not the best writer. And you know, English is not my first language. And I came from a very different legal system, but I I loved it. I actually very much enjoyed uh, the legal profession, and I think that it's it's really Really set me up for what became later, I think, quite successful investing and both investing and company building because it gave me a real appreciation for intellectual property and regulatory environment that even if you have the greatest innovation, you still have to go through all the regulatory hurdles and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money. Yeah. You know what? I mean, such, a, such an interesting uh, journey. Luba, I mean, you know, career, you start your career as an EMT, you, you take a, a detour into law that becomes very beneficial to you now. And, you know, in your, in your previous roles that you've played at, at various companies, I mean, love your story. And, and so, and you paid your way through school. I mean, that's such a great story and inspiring one. So you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. What do you think, Luba, is a hot topic that needs to be on health leaders agenda today? And how are you approaching it? So the hot topic I would say is is making sense of digital health. And uh-huh. people talk about it. Some people don't like the term. A lot of discussion is on what that actually means. And uh, we see words like AI and blockchain and God knows what else is, is usually used in healthcare. I have to say that now working for a tech company, I have yet to see many very successful AI applications really in healthcare and really comes down to what is really the the hot topic? And that is we have incredible amount of research and innovation that's happening in biotech. We also have a lot more data about patients. And when we want to go and if we want to go and we see that many biotech and pharma companies and diagnostic companies are going there, if we want to truly go into personalized health, we have to figure out what are the right tools on both the discovery, the drug development and therapeutic, but as well as diagnostic side that we could go into to capture information that goes beyond, let's say, genomics, that goes into really truly understanding omics, behavioral health, self-reported outcomes, environmental factors, uh, social determinants of health, and many other such data points and integrate them all so that we can make better therapies for patients. Yeah, you know, it's 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 definitely something that's on the mind of a lot of leaders and, and folks listening to to this podcast today. Digital health, it's everywhere. How do we leverage it? You know, rather than just buzzwords and and um, you know these things that you hear at the meetings or in news articles. So it'd be interesting to hear from you, Luba, whether it be maybe the work that you're doing at MassBio or or Dana-Farber, some examples of how you guys have leveraged these technologies or some ideas that you're, you're taking action on to create results. Yes, absolutely. So I would say in, in Dana-Farber and has been really a, quite a, a real leader in this space. And it really comes down, if you look into cancer, right, you have over 70% of cancer patients that are actually seen in community hospitals. So there is a big demand uh, for better patient care pathways. There's a lot of demand for 
for really bringing the oncology expertise of a place like Dana-Farber, which is really the world's leading cancer institute, to the world, right, and to these community hospitals. So some of the work that Dana-Farber has been doing is building these very comprehensive and, and truly state-of-the-art clinical decision support tools. They're also building out, for example, actually just here in Boston and Chestnut Hill, a new of its kind, really clinical workspace um, for cancer patients and for cancer care that will really redefine how cancer patients receive care in the future. So that has been, for me, quite rewarding. And, and this is coming from especially when when I was at Roche, some of the acquisitions that we have done, if you look at, uh, for example, Flatiron, and then as well as uh, later on acquisition of uh, Foundation Medicine, there you understand finally uh, the genomic information and also the clinical trial information. But the issue, not just for, for pharma and for Roche, but also for many other biotech companies and some of these startups in this space is that that data is important. However, the problem is it's not across the same phenotype. So if you don't have the phenotypic data, if you don't have the data that's coming out of EMRs, if you have still limited understanding of how an actual individual truly responds to a particular oncology therapy and why some respond and why others don't, you're still quite far away from that personalized, personalized medicine approach. So the things that Dana-Farber is doing right now to, to really provide the type of data that is going to be important uh, for, for drug discovery and drug development in oncology is, is really very exciting. And from MassBio, the space there is we try to, and, and we worked with, uh, by the way, and really an amazing team. So, you know, MassBio leadership, if you look at Bob Coughlin and Kendall O'Connell and MassBio board members, they have really come together and said, you know, we're, yes, they have, they're the ones that help build this amazing ecosystem that we have in biotech, but they're also recognizing the importance of all of that data that's coming in that's going to be important for digital health. So we have worked with, in the last year, with Deloitte and have looked and talked to many stakeholders from not just Massachusetts, but uh, across the country to understand where their pain points what is it that they really want? Because if you look at digital health today, we see a lot of investment going into a lot of companies that there are two issues with them. Number one, those companies are basically solutions in search of a problem. And number two, a lot of those companies are actually investing in buying or, or leveraging that data. So a lot of money, there are literally billions of dollars that have been thrown out on that data. So that's why when people say AI or ML, machine learning, I usually uh, really want to understand, well, exactly what data are they, um, are they really truly using, what kind of data set for their ML applications. But MassBio wanted to be the kind of place for Massachusetts and create the ecosystem for Massachusetts that will bring in the type of digital health companies and the kind of ecosystem that will actually lead the way for the real convergence of life sciences companies and tech companies. And that is really, if you look into, well, what are those companies? They're really, I would say, in, in just four areas, right? Number one is discovery. So these mm -hmm. are discovery tools, computational biology. These are the tools that help you better understand biology of the disease because we still are far away from understanding biology of the disease for some diseases. We're also realizing that 
We need to map out, for example, immune system. We need to still map out the brain. The second one is drug development tools. So these are the tools that actually enable to personalize medicine. Some of the work that, for example, Dana-Farber is doing and companies that are helping collect real-world evidence, helping virtualize clinical trials and capturing those patient-reported outcomes and continuously collecting data. And then the third piece is, are those man knowledge management tools that are going to truly empower patients and physicians. Well, fascinating uh, thoughts there. And, and certainly the need to leverage these technologies are there. You said solutions in search of a problem. And you know, I kind of in the back of my mind was like, wow, you know, that's so true. A lot of companies building their widgets and their tools and then trying to apply them versus the, the other way around. I know a big topic for startups is revenue generation. And so I'd like to hear from you some thoughts that, that the startups listening to this uh, may be able to benefit from. So we, we still do not, not living in a value, true value-based care system, right? We have some areas. Right. So for example, Medicare Advantage, right? We have some bundling and surgery. Right. Uh, so there, there are certainly, if, if I were a startup and we see many startups actually emerging in, in exactly this space and tackling this space because they, there are actual business models there that you can, we can generate revenues. There's many other startups, however, that are, whose goal it is to try to entirely change the incentive system. And I have to say that one of my biggest, I would say, failures in career was when I was working for a pharma company and we wanted to buy a services business in Europe and mm -hmm. bring it into the United States. And it was great. It was ahead of its time and it would have made a big difference. It would have made a big difference to patients. It would also have improved outcomes and actually lower cost for the payer. Well, I can tell you that company, when brought into the U.S., failed pretty quickly, I mean, within months. And it happened early on in my career, and it was helpful to really frame understanding of the healthcare system and understanding that you can't just overnight change the incentives, but you can change them long-term, working together and actually bringing true innovation into the system in a way where you can generate revenues today. And some of the ways that you can do that is where I actually see the future and where MassBio has been working and Dana-Farber and many of the people that are involved in Massachusetts have been working on is the area where you will have real exits and real models. So mm -hmm. those are the areas, as, as I mentioned, number one, it's in discovery, right? Because again, we are trying to, pharmaceutical biotech companies are trying to personalize therapies, make therapies better and reduce adverse events. So again, any tools that are going into the development space as well, that is an area, again, where you can actually have an exit and a good area for, uh, for investment as well. And then the third area is if you look into the diagnostic industry and med device industry, which many traditional biotech players actually usually do not invest in, but those are the areas where that are going to be and are being disrupted today, and they need quite a bit of differentiation. So in the diagnostics, for example, you see going into point-of-care diagnostics, going more into the consumer play. This is an area where you do see pretty effective use of AI. As an example, you have some tools that can diagnose diabetic retinopathy. And then in the medical device industry, right, it's, it's the same. You can, you can incorporate sensors and other, and other things that actually improve the outcomes of the use of that medical device for patients. Yeah, you know, wow, what a, what a great summary, Luba. And, and for the people listening, just thinking through your, your business model, 
Lubo's provided a, a great framework here to think through discovery, drug development. Uh, she mentioned knowledge management, diagnostics, and devices. How are you approaching these and uh, <laughs> entirely changing the incentive system? Not the way to go. Can't happen overnight, but it can happen over time. And But you need to make a business model that works today. And so I love the tips that you've given the listeners here, Luba. And you've shared a, a big learning, right? The, the big mistake that you made early on in your career. What about the other side of the coin? Tell us about something that you're really proud of that you've been able to accomplish. Oh, really proud and, a- and able to accomplish. You know, I think that the, the what my, my most proud moments are actually not even so much on the, on the business side, but it's really on mm-hmm. the mentorship side. I have been so proud and happy to see many of the brilliant scientists that I have mentored that ended up starting companies and selling companies and uh, becoming my biggest successes, empowering people that actually three people in my life now that have become more successful than I am, which, <laughs> which to awesome. me is, is what brings me the, the most excitement and happiness about uh, the, what I do. That's wonderful. I definitely hear the the passion in in your your voice, Luba, and and you know just thinking about the the things that you're involved in, you know, even in your personal life and and you know the organizations that make impact. I mean, it's it's incredible. So you know, I want to give you a lot of kudos for for thinking the way you do and and giving. You know, there's a, a book that I've recommended in the past. It's called The Go Giver. You know, not being a go getter, but being a go giver. And you seem to be that kind of person to me. Well, thank you. Thank you. I um, I tried to do that. Yeah, no, for sure. And and so tell us about an exciting project you're working on today. What's keeping you up at night and what's making you wake up early? So I would say the exciting project actually is working actually with, with Dana-Farber. They and what about have, them in particular? Like, what are you working on now that's like, man, I, can, I just, I have to keep doing this. I got to work on it. Yeah, so it's the, it's the ability to actually be the first Basically, the first, if you think about it, well, I will. I do want to step back very briefly, sure. and, and I think this will resonate with probably many of you listeners, which is everybody wants at the end of the day when you're going into digital health, and you don't even have to go into digital health if you're going into and, and you would like more data to understand more information about a patient. The issue that many companies, even with many resources and great, amazing teams come across is that this data is unstructured. It's very hard to get access to it. Even if you get access to it, the number of people that you will need to either have as consultants or hire internally for yourself or for your partner that you're, you're working on the data with, it's quite substantial. So mm-hmm. many barriers to getting the kind of data that will truly help inform the therapeutic, the therapy that the patient really needs to be on or inform better drug discovery and better drug development. And if you go to different institutes, usually, the again, the data is there. Many of them don't have the resources or even understanding of what data they have. Mm-hmm. So usually the, the response is, we're not going to give it to you entirely proprietary and we need millions of dollars until we talk to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and a lot of the time, I can tell you as, as a lawyer, it comes, from, it comes a bit from fear of the unknown. It also comes from, from the fact that a lot of it is, uh, is unstructured and it is quite costly to, and, and it's, a lot of it is not actually there. There are huge gaps. We're there to actually be data that will be useful for really for, for anyone. So the reason why I was excited about a place like, well, first of all, cancer and, and oncology research is, 
is dear to me, dear to my heart. So that was very important. It is and finding and working with an institute that actually has incredible treatment for patients and continuous treatment, right? So again, mm -hmm. if you go back to the data, it's getting that data not only on genomic data, which by the way, everyone that goes into Dana-Farber gets tumor sequence, but it's also understanding on the continuum of care of what is actually happening to, to a patient. How is that patient treated? What are the other factors uh, and in the clinical notes of that patient? And of course, the, the therapy that's given and, and the response. So that type of data is doesn't reside in many places. So working on with Dana-Farber on this and creating this basically unique database that is unlike really any others that are available so that you can understand not only as a therapeutics company and have access to information that will help you make better therapies, but also information for other providers and payers for how they can manage you know, a cancer patient better throughout that cancer patient's life. Because as we know, thankfully, many cancers are, are managed and they become almost like managing your chronic disease and helping that patient throughout their lives is something that, again, the Dana-Farber has done an amazing job at and, and has the data to show how and why and the, and the outcomes. Well, it's definitely an exciting time to, to be involved in something like this. And once the data is structured, and let's just say you have a structure, can that structure be used by somebody else collecting data so that the data that they collect is more useful? Absolutely. So that is the goal, right? Is gotcha. To ensure that that is, that is available for, for all, right? So that, exactly. And because right now, it is hard to get access to that entire continuum of, 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 of structured data. Fascinating. Well, you know what? I, I definitely am excited to hear the progress that's happening there. And, uh, and is there a timeline to when something is expected to be available and, and, and even commercialized or, or, or just, you know, what's the model there for, for them? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, the one of the things that is happening right away is there is actually going to be kind of the state-of-the-art high-tech, I would say, patient hub in Chestnut Hill. So they're they're opening this really incredible center in, in Chestnut, which is, again, very accessible and easier with, with parking and, and other things that you, you need to think about, which are important. And uh, and it's going to be high-tech. And, and, and high-tech is important because, again, it enables you to get truly personalized treatment, better outcomes, and better care. So that's one of the, one of the aspects. And the second one, really on the on the data piece is again trying to make it happen this year wow that's exciting yes. well we'll definitely have to stay in touch and uh update the listeners with uh with any news there on that front absolutely be happy to love it luba so it's time for the lightning round i got a couple questions for you and we're going to follow that by a recommendation of a book to the listeners you ready yes all right what's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes it's to provide a comprehensive treatment for an individual patient, given that individual, not just genomic profile, but environmental and, and omics and other behavioral data that you can collect from that individual. So really, really patient-centric therapies, but also patient empowerment so patients are educated. Love it. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Yes. So the biggest one to avoid is refusing to, to have multidisciplinary approach. It is very difficult to have software engineers, hardware engineers, data scientists, scientists, clinicians working together on making a product. 
process-wise, but that is where you have truly an amazing product for patients. So it's it's always easier to streamline and uh, make it easier, but pitfall to avoid is is to encourage true collaboration between different disciplines. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You have to invest in innovation. And even if it is the kind of innovation that will disrupt even your primary business model is to stay ahead of it and continue to innovate. Amen to that. (laughs) 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 And uh, Lupa, what's uh, one area of focus that drives everything in your work? The area of focus is real data, and it can be data from scientific or data that you collect. It is basically getting real data, making sure it's clinically validated, and there's a, a real business model and a real true unmet medical need. That's the focus. And these next two are two to get the audience to get to know you a little bit better. What is your number one health habit? I walk a lot. I walk sometimes five, six, seven miles a day. I walk to work, walk from work. So it's uh, even in the cold. A lot of working. It's a lot of walking. Yes. And actually, a health habit that might be strange is I don't go to the gym. So I work out based on the weather, which is probably only relevant for. People that live in in places like Boston that have the four seasons. So in the summer, I swim, and in the winter, I walk very slowly, like a penguin. And um, (laughs) the rest, I I walk briskly. (laughs) That's too funny. So you'll so you'll walk to work in a snowstorm? Not in not when the snow is coming down. It's but there's some places if the sidewalks are actually paved. Yes, yes, you do. (laughs) Wow, good for you. Yes, that's a good one. That's a good. You're you're a committed walker. I, 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 walk. I was very excited. There was some research that just came out, uh, very preliminary oh, research that shows that long, low impact walking is actually better than for, for cognition, cognitive oh. decline than a high resistance type of exercise. So I'm sticking to that. Again, very early research, <laughs> not validated. <laughs> I love it though. Directionally, I love it. And Luba, how about your number one success habit? Listening. And listening, and uh, and that is something I actually learned. I learned that I didn't know how to do very well when I was a litigator because during depositions, I remember my first deposition, I thought that I was listening, and then I had no idea what the talk person was actually saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, it's it's actually it's it truly listening is is a very tough skill. At least it was for me, and um, that became once I learned how to do that, became very important because it's the key to collaboration, it's the key to learning. I think key to success is also being very curious and you have to listen and and read for that. Love that. Some great habits, Luba. And what book would you recommend to the listeners? I would recommend Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. What did you like about it? It's actually talking about decision making and he comes from that background of behavioral economics and I do like reading books by behavioral economists. They make me think in a different way and question the way that I think and I always like to think about that. (laughs) Love that. It's a great recommendation. Folks, for our entire show transcript and uh, the show notes, the quick notes, and all the links that uh, are for resources we've discussed, including the book, go to outcomesrocket.health. And in the search bar, type in Luba, L-U-B-A. You'll be able to find all of that there. Luba, a tremendously enjoyable discussion with you. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with you. So closing thought, keep on innovating and please reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter and I um, 
uh, usually tweet about interesting things that are happening in the life sciences tech world and also what my friends are doing. <laughs> <laughs> love it. A good mix of personal, professional. That's good. I love it. <laughs> That's good. Well, folks, there you have it. Lupa for you. And again, the beauty of podcasts, you could always hit rewind, listen to some of the value that she shared with us today. Luba Greenwood, just want to say big thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Saul. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.